good to be part of that, isn't it? David, do you love your sweetheart? I think so. <laughs> That's what it's all about, really, isn't it? And Dale, bless your heart. If I'd have known you needed a dog, I could have given my wonderful dog. <laughs> we, we call her Miss Gregarious. She wanders a bit, but I just love her, and I would have shared her gladly with you had you needed something wonderful like a big black beagle. A little retarded, but adequate. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 24, verse 31. And God is addressing his people, Israel, and that's a picture of you and me, his people. We are the church. And he said these words, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who had experienced everything the Lord had done. We see that in every generation, don't we? I think a lot of people now are longing for the good old days when a man's handshake was enough where honor and integrity was rampant on the face of the earth instead of what's happening now. I think all of us would like to go back to the good old days in many, many respects, simply because times are changing. And we're going to see here that in a page, by the way, this was written to Israel, God's people, around 1451 and no later than 1425. We're going to turn over one page, and I'd title this sermon, if you would, just one page over. Just one page over. And you know, sometimes you can't always give it a chronicle uh, assignation, but you can in this case. It is less than a generation that a profound event takes place, the old passes away, and the avant-garde, the new guard, takes over. The hip generation, the new generation takes over. And if you would, then turn over to Judges chapter 2, verse 10. That's just a page away in my Bible. Now, if you've got a little bitty Bible, it may be several pages. But with Spiro Zodiates' uh, big interlinear here that's got every Hebrew and Greek word in it, and I can give it to you in about 30 seconds if you're curious about any one of the words that I talk about today, it's just one page over. And let me point out what radical things can happen in just a page, in less than a generation, if you will, in the twinkling of an eye. Reading from Judges 2.10, it says this, after the whole generation had been gathered together to their fathers, another generation grew up. You know, that's irritating to me. It seems like that's happening too fast. You younger folks, just slow down a bit. I'm not ready to be crowded out. It's happening too fast. And that generation were gathered unto their fathers, who a new generation presupposes, grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. If you think, well, that's a little far-fetched, preach man. You can't uh, say it's uh, just one page away. That has no relevance. Well, it really does. Because in Judges 2, verse 11, it also says the same thing. And between 10 and 11, we see that the new generation takes on a new God. And that Lord, that God, was Baal. You've heard of Baal before, Zerubbabel. And Lord Mithra is just another Baal. And all the pagan gods of the world are just another Baals. And Baal is simply a word for Lord. And I pray to God that that's the problem that's so clearly defined today. There are new lords with new generations. And the old generation is passing away 
who had a different standard, a higher standard, a better standard, as indeed in ancient Israel, the word of God is the best standard that any people can ever have and is the standard for all men of all ages. There is no better standard to build your life upon. And I mean that not just to read the pretty words, but to order your life, to raise your children by, to have hope in something more than just simply a better insurance program someday if it ever happens, if indeed it ever happens. Now, it doesn't take long for one generation to be preceded by another. At the most, learned uh, people who count up generations declare that probably 40 years is a sensible length of time for a generation. Stop thinking about it in your own mind. That's probably about right, isn't it? Allows us teeny boppers to grow up, have children, and then see our grandchildren come along. About a span of 40 years. And many people date geologic and theologic reckoning, archaeological reckoning, by a period of 40 years. I give or take, doesn't really matter. In less than a twinkling of an eye, in less than a generation, in less than 40 years, a whole new order can happen. If the church is to survive, if your family is to survive, it has to be within your time, your generation, and we have to be very careful of the upcoming generation because it doesn't take long. I look to Russia, my heart is there, having been there, having passed out Bibles, and since you've given generously to those poor people without the church, without the real church. For 75 years, you couldn't even meet in the name of Jesus. Read the book of Vanya if you think this is just prefabrication. Read what happened to Vanya simply because he confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as his master. And my, the people of Russia are now begging for the morality and the ethical society which we have in America. See, they're never going to have capitalism. They're never going to do business because they don't know what honor and integrity is. They don't know that there's a handshake that can make a thing binding. They don't understand that you have to keep your word. They don't really understand that. And many people in high places say, we don't know your Jesus. We don't even believe in him. But you do. And somehow or another, you can have honor and a democracy. Because you see, democracy means you fill out your income tax and turn it in without cheating, doesn't it? Well, now, essentially. And it doesn't work if all of us would cheat, see, on the standard. That's why you have to read Romans 13 and say there is a higher standing. And you need to know that authority comes from God and we need to all abide in an authority. That means I can't run the red light. I may not, because whether anyone is watching or not, that's the way that our government has ordained we should treat red lights. We must stop when it is time to stop, because there's always a possibility of error. And if we will all, on Scout's honor, do that thing, we shall all live a better life. Yes, Solzhenitsyn cried out, the prophet of Russia, saying, Men have forgotten God. And I believe he was right. What a wonderful Latter-day Saint he truly is. He knew God. By the way, he found Jesus in a dark prison camp. You ought to read some of his writings, how profound and deep they are. This is not a baby fat Christian whose biggest problem is a headache or lumps on their leg or some other goofy thing. This is a man who was tortured near to death who spent years, decades of his life suffering 
for the Jesus that he knew. And he spoke before a snooty crowd of Yale and Princeton students and universities, and they booed and hissed at his philosophy. And I wouldn't give you all of Yale or Princeton or two cents worth of anything else for one Solzhenitsyn, for he has suffered for the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Yaleites have suffered nothing except their own ignorance. Now listen to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go, he said, Jesus is speaking, all authority is given unto me. Teach, baptize, teach again, teaching them to do whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you until the end of the world. So here's the focus of the sermon. I don't care what your gifts are in the church, and I don't care, I can name them all, you can probably too, Ephesians 4 and Romans 12, and, and uh, those are simply saying that there's a lot of parts to the body, but there's one thing the church is given to do, what all your talents may be, somebody's got to teach. And so I focus on what Hegel, the great unbeliever, had to say. I show you a mystery. Now he was a great intellect for his day, about the turn of the century. It was he who ushered in, in genetics and in science, more than probably Darwin himself, the concept of atheism that we see in the evolutionary concept from goo to zoo to you, from a feckless blob of protoplasm to Gina Lola Brigida, in one smashing ascendancy, he says, we are from the primordial slimes and then cheated to show it in many of his drawings as he showed that ontogeny tried to capitulate, recapitulate phylogeny. I have trouble saying it. There must be something wrong with me because I love to say it. And so, the man lied. A great intellect. Why does a great intellect have to lie about anything? Because you're trying to prove something maybe that's shaky in the beginning. Things need to be taught. What was that mystery that great Hegel had to say? He said, this is the mystery. That the Jews have maintained their integrity, though dispersed in the diaspora, across the face of the earth. The Jews remain Jews wherever they are. Russia, France, America, England, Timbuktu, or the cold Arctic. And why do the, do the Jews maintain their faith? It is because of the precious family, a family philosophy of religion, a patriarchal, a papa's in charge and the mama's glad of it, and the children prosper because of that. Say, man, that's really corner, man. That didn't sound liberated. That's liberated by God Almighty Himself. That's the way you're to do business in your family. I cry out. I have only two small points. Family devotions should be the heart and the soul of the years to come in your worship. Now, it is wonderful. It is a physical command to be here on the Lord's day. Whether you agree or like it or not, he says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, as the custom of some is, but you continue the more as you see that day drawing nigh. As what day drawing nigh? The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can say, man, this is corny. I, uh, I'm a school teacher. I'm a, I'm a Bible school teacher. I teach in VBS. I teach from time to time. Hey, friend, it may require more than that. The didactic 
mission of the church, the instructive mission of the church is to teach. What are you going to teach them? Something about baptism, because they're baptized next. You had to teach them something about that. But then he said, teaching them on and on and on, ad infinitum, till it quits. You can't just stay with baptism. That's for beginners. That's the born again part. But all of our life is a teaching and learning experience, and it's so important. That's the thrust of the church, and that's how the Jews survived. The mama and the papa, they gathered around, and they read their Bible. Now, we don't do that. Well, I'm suggesting you should. I think it's very, very important. What the church can't do, you are still obligated to do. Do we understand that? Someone say, well, the church can't do this, the church can't do that. The church needs inspired moms and dads as well. The church cannot do it. Now, the church does an awful fine job. Did you know of the 30, 34 people ordained to full-time ministry from this small congregation? About a third of them came from godless believers, disbelievers. They didn't even come with their children to the church. Don't you ever let that happen to you. If you're a man, act like a man and bring that boy, bring that girl and sit together. And if you don't have the guts to do that, then Fred, you gather them in the morning or in the evening or whenever you're with your children and hold that little boy and hold that little girl and read the Bible. Listen to them stumble through their scriptures. We don't care if they don't pronounce the words right. We don't care if we're going to say, well, hey, you're just giving me another thing to have to do. I've got plenty of things to do in the kingdom of God. No, you don't. You're not that busy. All of us can find a time to hold our boys and girls and speak about Jesus. That's the thing you ought to do. Why do you eat oatmeal cookies? I know that old guy with a mustache says, of course, it's the right thing to do. Well, I tell you, Hegel declared that a people spread across the face of the earth still maintained their religious integrity because of the family. It was a family that did not divide, but a family that was held together around God's precepts. That's all they had was the Old Testament. Did that old boy know his Old Testament? Friend, there wasn't a kid raised in all Jerusalem city who couldn't give you all 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. And we bellyache and gripe about, oh, I've got to commit to memory, Jesus wept. Every kid growing up at his papa and his mother's side understood all of the verses of the full 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. That's why they were held together. Listen to Job 1.5. That requires a little sacrifice family devotion. It requires maybe a little bit of prayer. You don't have to study to do that. Just open up to any of the Gospels. God's spiel, God's good tidings, God's good news. That's good tidings, isn't it? Jesus came for sinners such as we, and he conquered death that we might have eternal life. That's cool, man. You don't have to apologize to a punk kid because you're teaching them the word of God. What a blessing it is. It takes a strong man to be able to have the courage. It's like going down to the jail and playing your flute. You've got to be Mr. Studley to do that. It takes a man to preach the good tidings of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're approaching an age when you may pay a price for that. Practice it with your own babies. Practice it. Listen to what Job did. This is profound. Job 1 verse 5. Early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking this, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. 
And what did this old boy do? I get nauseous when I go deer hunting at four in the morning. I think it's disgusting what the sun does when it comes up early in the morning. And that fool hen keeps crowing. It's disgusting. There's nothing going on in the morning. And this man takes his time and prays and gives offerings in behalf of his children just in case they had sinned. That's, that's painful. It's nauseous getting up in the morning, but it's worth it. It's your babies. It's your kids. You need a devotional time. It's a sacrifice, but it's a sweet sacrifice. That's the best kind. How big are the plans that you have for your kids? I think as you pray with that little guy, I think as you correct him as he makes a mistake in his scripture reading or her scripture reading, and be sure the little girls get their part in this business too. In the long run, they'll probably affect more people than the boys will. You better give those little girls every ounce of spiritual encouragement that you can give with them, and especially devoted attention and family devotions really cause those little girls to profit as well as the little boys. How big are those plans? Well, I'll tell you, it's like the picture of God's plans for his people, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you. This is God, not wishy-washy God we hear of. How Jesus kind of thought that maybe he was the redeemer and he was deluded and all this phony baloney that you're hearing now. Jesus knew he was the redeemer. Job had already announced, I know I have a redeemer who lives and his name was still Jesus. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. As you sit around your family devotions and you talk to your little boys and your little girls, if it's just the two old folks, it doesn't matter. Talk to one another about the plans that God has for you if you're 85, if you're 54, if you're 37, if you're 19, or if you're 6. God still has plans for each one of us. And it was to profit us and it would be good for us. That's the exciting good news of Jesus' life, his death and his burial, his resurrection. If Jesus was successful in conquering the grave, then I am successful. Well, see, that's a contingent preposition. This kind of a twitty thing. I know Jesus was raised, therefore I am raised with him. The one thing I know in this veil of tears is that was an empty grave those folks went to see. And old Mary cried out, it's empty, it's empty, it's empty. Why, sure enough, honey, he's gone to sit at his father's right hand. He reappears for a few weeks and then he sends into heaven with the clouds to be with his father. Now listen to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9. We read 4 and 5. We're in a hurry. It says, verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. Now how do words get in your heart? Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. I wonder what that excludes during the day. That isn't talking about some pompous time where you preach a sermon from notes. Not really, does it? It comes from the heart, mom and dad. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between the eye. That was because they knew the mind was up here. 
and that you had to get to a person's mind if it's to really reach their heart, see. And thou shalt write them on the posts of thy house and on thy gates. When you entered in, you saw the word of God. When you left, you saw the word of God. It was your protection for in the house, in the home, was sustenance to live forever and to encourage your children to, into eternal things. Listen to Proverbs 1.8. Listen, my son, to your papa's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. I see evidence because sometimes it's hard to get teachers at the lower level. Why is that? The kids don't behave for a woman. You know why that is? Because they don't behave for her at home. And there's some papa has been remiss because he doesn't enforce what mama says at home. And let me tell you, big daddies, if the mother says something, you better verify what she says. For that child is to obey both you and she and her. Forgive me. Obey both you and her. And that's important to realize. And therefore, man or woman, she commands respect because she's diligently teaching the word of God. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. That, I read that from NIV. King James said, don't provoke your kids. Do you know folks who bait their kids, who provoke their children? Somehow or another, there's a schism between them. They haven't gone on to the idea. I looked up what Spiros had to say, and he said, that word is really, don't anger alongside you. Don't cause anger ones that close that are standing next to you. And that's sometimes the case. Who do we exasperate the most? The ones we love the most, the ones we're nearest, the ones we're around all the time. I don't anger a lot of people because I'm not around them much. <laughs> Maybe that's a good prayer. Keep away from me. I can live with you better that way. It takes a more noble spirit to live with someone all their life than to ignore them most of their life, doesn't it? You get in problem. Don't exasperate your children. What is your function? There he defines the function, doesn't it? Instead, bring them up in the training and in the admonition, or this version says, the instruction of the Lord. And then lastly, there is a reason that we're just a page away from chaos. There is a region, reason that it may be just one generation and we could lose the church, we could lose our Christianity, we could lose godly America. We could give it all up and lose it all. It can happen in the twinkling of an eye. I'm kind of excited. I was hoping there'd be seven baptisms this week. It may not happen. Well, can't say we didn't try and someone will say, well, that'll show you mouthy. No, it won't show me anything because I got a dream. You got a dream. Brian and and. Uh, Chuck and I got a dream. We've got a young man down at the jail. His first name is Ortiz. He's going to be baptized. He'd like to be here with you this morning so he could, but in just a few weeks he will. He needs to start over. You know what the man said to us? He said, since I was five, my parents have offered me liquor. Does he have a drinking problem? Yeah, he does. But he realizes he has to be born again if he's going to conquer. I really think there's some sin so powerful that without the Holy Spirit of God, you're probably incompetent to solve the problem. You can say that's corny, but I don't think so. I believe that's from the mouth and the lips of God. 
Discipline is all important, and some people are so afraid of discipline, they think of punishment, and that may go with it. But diso, disco is the base root, see, not discotech, not disco dancing, but discovery. Disciple is one who is a learner of one who has much learning. And I learned a lot from Jesus. How about you? I still have a lot to learn. Praise God for that. Let me share with you. I told you once I have a big, ugly brother. He's my little brother, and he's a pretty guy. His curly hair, natural curly hair. Everything always went up great for Pat. My mama one time says, well, Al, Jerry Pat's got all the looks, and he uh, has the personality, and the girls really think he's tremendous, but, but uh, you've, you've got a fair mind. Maybe you can make something of that. <laughs> I said, well, uh, <laughs> That's better than not having a fair mind, I guess. I don't know what she meant by a fair mind. She didn't even say you had a good mind. But, you know, capitalize on as much as you could. He called me an SOB one time in front of Big Mamu. Now, you see, you say, well, that's shocking. Why? You can say anything you want to if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's wrong with that? And Mama was a good woman, but she didn't have the help of her, dad, of her husband until he was in his 80, he finally understood Jesus should have been the Lord of his life. But he did, he did, he did do it, see. And Mama picked this big, awkward teenager up, good Lord. His feet were longer than she was tall. And took him to the bathroom and with a bar of lava soap, massaged his mouth like this. And I can still hear Pat raving and everything. This big old Irish girl, her name was McGinnis. And let me tell you, she put the lava soap in that kid's mouth. You say, why, why mercy, you would stultify his id. And at 14, you can take a kid out of your home now. Do you understand that? If they just get to a social worker, they're out of your home, they're gone. Oh, it hasn't happened. It's happened a hundred times in this church. You don't have possession of your children forever. Get the job done while you have the opportunity to do it. And I can steal. I was so excited. Justice ultimately triumphs. And the bubbles were coming out. Did that stultify Jerry Pat's id? It did not. He needed his mouth washed out. That's not the way you talk to your mama. That is not the way you talk to your mama. She could, oh honey, you hurt my feelings. No, I think she should have tarred him good while she was at it. Wouldn't have hurt a bit. Maybe me too for provoking the fight. <laughs> Did that hurt him? No. He's got a little boy named Jerry Pat, and I got a boy, little Jerry Pat. We all get together. It's chaos. <laughs> we say Pat, and everyone comes running. It's really funny. And Jesse James Patrick Allen didn't come this time, but he will next time. And at any rate, did that hurt him? No, Bud gives more money to the church here, the second Jerry Pat, uh, because my brother grew up knowing right from wrong and that there was a punishment for doing the wrong thing. And, it, and his boy gives more money to the church than many of the deacons here in the church. Why? Because this church is interested in young people. And he is. Did that hurt him because he got punished? Well, I know it profited. Do you see the next verse of Scripture? Uh, it talked about that. 1 Samuel 3.13, speaking of that old priest Eli, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves wicked, 
And he did not restrain his own children. It's a commandment of God, isn't it? And look at John 10, 5, and Jesus is speaking. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Isn't that cool? I think that is tremendous. How do you get to know your children? Someone says, I'm raising a teenager. I don't know him from beans. Well, it started earlier than the teenage stage. We admit that's a pretty weird stage, isn't it, sometimes? but it's the most wonderful stage. You young families, look forward to your children in junior high and high school because they'll soon be gone. The little sheep will leave the fold soon. Profit by it. It begins by family devotions. I really mean that. If your religion is just here, that's not enough. Your religion is at home with the mama and the papa and the little sis and the little brothers gathered around shutting out the road for, for a moment and hearing the testimony of God. Oh, the little sheep will leave home. Dale, I'm sure, would pronounce it different, but the little ewees grow up, don't they? And they leave home. And then it's kind of hard to control their lives. Oh, it is distinctively hard, see Psalm 78, 6 and 7 says, So the next generation would know their God, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn will tell their children, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His command. You see, the children tell their children. It's neat to be a grandparent as you watch each generation begin to tell, and Grandpa and Grandma, you're not done telling them what to do. That's really neat to intervene. You know, Sally's 37, I looked around, I didn't see her at prayer meeting the other night, and you know, I got on to her. Where were you, honey? I missed you. Well, it's always going to be that way, because I want to see my children grow up in the faith, and I want to see those precious children grow up in the faith, and so shall it ever be. That's a strict biblical commandment. G.K. Chesterton said, when people reject God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe absolutely anything you tell them. And that's how you're getting away with OBE, whatever name. They're not going to give it the name OBE. They're too sharp now. It was here two years ago, by the way. I've read you from their manifesto already. From the pulpit, I've read from the OBE manifesto. It's in Casper. They'll give it another name. Well, for crying out loud, if you don't have family devotions, you're whooped. And you're not going to be whooped. You're going to win. Your children are your manifest destiny. And then I conclude with the last scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. Do you believe that, everybody? Amen. Then what's to come of that? Listen to what it says. And it is useful for teaching. Isn't it silly to think you can teach a kid anything without biblical principles? It is useful for rebuking. They need to be rebuked from time to time. They need to be corrected. See, it's useful for correcting. It is useful for training in righteousness, in being the right. I just want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, and that's what God commanded me to do. As we sing our hymn of invitation, Maybe you've got something on your heart. 
maybe you need a church home. When Jesus comes, I don't want to be around here without a church home. He's going to take the bride, the church, right on up. Maybe you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. That was the fundamental mission of the church, to teach them about baptism. And when you taught them that, go on teaching them. Maybe you can't be baptized today, but you can make your confession of faith and we'll baptize you when you can. And I pray that that's soon, because biblically it was the same hour of the night when they were first convinced. As we sing our hymn of invitation, what number is it, Jan? Number 106, would you stand please?